Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's a glorious Friday morning, ladies and gentlemen, as I look out across the vast uh, empire of London. Um, there's not a cloud in the sky. Well, there's a few clouds very high up in the sky, but not many. It's quite nice. It's very nice. It's a bank holiday weekend, so I'm very surprised it's not actually pouring with rain. It may well be. Apparently, there's an invasion of uh, Portuguese man of war um, out there uh, on, the, on the south coast, so look out for jellyfish. But don't worry, because the border force will probably pick them up, cradle them gently into some muslin bags, and then carry them to the nearest hotel uh, in Newquay because that's what the Border Force do. Richard Tyson's here this morning to talk through uh, some of the most remarkable figures that we got yesterday from the Home Office about the numbers of people who are now coming to this country, both legally and illegally. People coming on holiday and staying, people coming on student visas and overstaying, people coming on work visas and disappearing into the community, people coming illegally and never being seen again, never being processed. The whole system is at breaking point if it hasn't broken already. And uh, We're going to look into the, be- the, the, the real reason behind these figures and why uh, we cannot seemingly do anything to stop anyone coming to this country if they wish to do so. Richard's also got a bit of a mini victory to talk about and we'll talk about that as well. Also of course we'll get his view on Donald Trump, uh, the most remarkable president I think America has ever seen. I think it's very clear uh, that he's running rings around the people who are trying to do away with his next presidential campaign. Uh, He's saying that quite clearly. Uh, He submitted himself to Georgian prosecutors yesterday uh, down in Georgia uh, but it was box office TV. It's the biggest reality show America's ever seen. And they don't know how to stop him. It's quite remarkable. It's quite interesting to watch. Jamie Jenkins joins us. We're going to talk about uh, how your gas bill isn't going down, despite the fact that Ofgem have said they're going to actually uh, reduce the cap. How does that work? So the gas companies make even more money from us. Excellent. Howard Cox is here as well uh, to talk about the latest on you, Les. And guess what? We're also going to have, uh, of course, you, Andre, here uh, with the veteran's voice, because we had such an interesting interview with Andy Stevenson last week, a man who at the age of 18 uh, was blown up on the HMS Sheffield during the Falklands War. He's now going to tell us the other side of his story and how he's going to help lots and lots of veterans over the course of the next few years. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let us get it on. Welcome to the beginning of what could be called a bank holiday weekend, August bank holiday weekend. Richard Tice, very, good, very morning good morning to you. Good morning to you, Mike. I mean, what a, you'll need five hours to get through that. I know, one. I know, Absolutely there's an awful lot going on. There is, but I have to say, amongst all the madness, yes. amongst all the bad news, I have good news. Mm. I have great. We, you and I, and a few others, we have changed the course of a specific ho- my, hotel migrant issue. Because yes. this time last week, I raised the issue of the hotel in Newport Pagnell in Buckinghamshire, uh, which had been basically uh, taken over by the Home Office Mm. for some 200 migrants, uh, and that the owner of that hotel was a convicted criminal uh, who had been done for uh, illegality uh, regarding uh, houses of multiple occupation. You couldn't make it up. It was an extraordinary story. Anyway, a week later... I can confirm that actually uh, all of the migrants have now gone and the contract has been cancelled. It There's has been terminated. Mm. So I think that you and I have actually helped to uh, the good people of Newport Pagnell uh, in, in ensuring that that, ho- that, um, that hotel is no mm. longer uh, full of 
illegal migrants. And that proves that if you shine a light on these things and if you actually campaign on behalf of local people, quite often you can win. And that means that if that happened all over the country, I wonder what effect that would have on the Home Office policy. Well, I think that's it. And actually, so so that's one example. Uh, we've seen in Flanethley, for example, mm. where no migrants have, have arrived because actually the good residents of Flanethley said, uh, we're, we're not having this. Not having enough it, yeah. is enough. And so that proves the point. I know you've been working very hard mm. Down at uh, is it Bexhill? Bexhill, yeah. Uh, in in that case, so yeah, you know, North I'm, Eye. Up and down the country, mm. actually, I th- I think there's you know there's, there's hope for people to say we're not putting up with yeah. this. Enough is enough, and uh, so that's the good news. Because the, once again, we've got a prime minister who not only said he was going to stop the boats. Uh, now, having gone back on that, he said we well, might not be able to. He also said, did he not, that he was going to put no more migrants in hotels. And that is clearly not what he's doing, because every single week we get at least two or three um, tweets from uh, from people or messages from people saying there's another hotel gone uh, in our area. Yes. And I think in this week alone, there's been about three that have been mentioned to me as having well, been and, taken And over. of course, it's no surprise, because in the last seven or eight days alone, we've had almost 3,000 uh, additional arrivals across the English Channel, mm. because the weather's been calm. And yeah. the, the reality is, as we move on to the bad news, which is that he's not stopping the boats, uh, more and more are, are literally flooding across the English Channel in their thousands, and those numbers will keep coming. Uh, but also, we've seen on the uh, on the sort of the lawful mm. side, the, the the numbers yesterday. When you really dig into those, and you started uh, yesterday to do so, but actually, when you sort of look at the small print and the fine numbers, it, it's even more catastrophic. Yeah. And, and I, I think that we should actually say. Tell it as it is. The truth is that we are now completely open season. Open borders yeah. uh, is the policy of this government, whether it's lawful, unlawful. Frankly, it all merges into one. No one in government cares. They're all on holiday. Mm. Yeah. They should be They should be reconvening and they should be saying enough is enough because I think the British people are steaming mad at these numbers. They can't believe them. And I've said this before, and people have been critical, of course, because they think, oh, you're just talking about people who are coming here on holiday now. But forget about the 1.2 million people that have come both on work visas and on student visas. A quarter of those, by the way, are dependents of those people coming. So these are people who are not coming to work or to be students. They're coming because family members of theirs are coming to work so, or be students, right? That's, that's right. So on the students, that's right, it's a quarter. But on the, the work visas... Of the uh, the five hundred and uh, the work visa number is about five hundred and it's about five hundred and fifty. I think five hundred and forty percent of those are dependents. Yes. So on on work visas, you've got forty percent dependents who can then of course work. Yes. Uh, as you say, twenty four percent on your. Uh, your study visas are dependents. Yeah. And as you rightly said yesterday, why do you need a dependent yeah. in order to come and do yeah. a degree? I mean, listen, British workers have travelled across the world for years, for, for centuries even. You know, yeah. you get, you get you know, posted to New York, you get posted to um, uh, an oil rig somewhere in the middle of the Persian Gulf. You don't take your entire family with you. You go and live on an oil rig for a while. You know, what are these people doing? Bringing their entire life with them uh, because that would suggest that it's a permanent move, wouldn't it? So, so as you say... As the opposed th- to a work visa. Exactly. And, and the bigger picture, the, the total visa number of 3.2 million, that's up 58% on the right. previous year. Right. And of course, many countries you come from, you don't need a visa. Right. So you then ask the question, well, if that's the visas from those who need a visa, what's the system yes. to check that actually when the visa expires, right. that actually they, they go they, back they, again? They've left. And then you look at another number, mm. which is that the, the extensions to visas yeah. is over 600,000. Right. 
there's of, a funny of, thing. So, so people who had a visa right. who should have gone back right. and now they've applied for an extension, that's another 600,000. Yeah. And those are the ones that have bothered to actually extend the visa as opposed to just not bothering to tell exactly. anyone that they've overstayed their welcome. And this is the thing, this is the naivety of those who suggest that this is a good thing because it can't be a good thing to fill one of the most you know, densely populated countries in Western Europe with more people. And I always laugh at people who go, oh, the French have taken you know, far more than we have. You go, well, France is a very big country <laughs> exactly. with, a, with a similar population to ours. There are vast swathes of France where nobody lives. You know, we don't have that luxury. We don't, as you say. We're one of the most densely populated nations in the Western world. And uh, in a sense, you can clearly see it. Everything is a struggle mm. uh, in terms of public services. The whole system is creaking, yeah. and in, in many areas, sadly, it's breaking. You yeah. talked about the, the, a lot of discussions about dentists. Yeah. Uh, we know about GPs. Well, there's millions of people now millions of people getting dental treatment, which that's tells right. you that there's too many people for the dentists that we've got. Absolutely. So basically, you need to carry a pair of pliers around just in case you get toothache. Unbelievable. And because you've got no chance yeah. of seeing a dentist. Absolutely right. Obviously. And it's a holiday weekend, and there'll be people even now sitting on a road in a traffic jam trying to get from point A to point B. And the reason the roads are so busy is because there are too many people living here. And why it's do we simple think, as that. And why do we think there's a housing crisis? Whether it's uh, too many people, uh, whether it's a, a rental crisis or, or to buy, mm. and, the, and the prices, despite the fact we're trying to build a couple of hundred thousand mm. homes a year, and that's because basically uh, the numbers are completely adequate. I actually think that the truth is that uh, they have no idea how many people are here. But let me no, just remind you of another number. When when we voted to leave mm. the European Union, the government said they expected about three and a half million citizens from the EU to apply for settlement. Uh, uh, settlement visas. Uh, it's turned out, I checked it the other day, it's over 7 million mm. have applied. So that just shows how many people they didn't realise were here or wanted to be here. Right. So look, the numbers are completely and, from, and utterly and out of control. And aside from, I think I'm right to say that this is a separate number for, for a separate visa application, nothing to do with students and people with work visas. There is a family section as well, which says there were 75,717 family-related visas granted in the year ending June 2023, which is a 110% increase increase, so double, more than double, the number in the previous year, primarily driven by an increase in family-related visas granted to partners. 80% of family-related visas granted in the year ending 2023 June were to partners, with the remainder being for children or other dependents. So who are these people? And where are they coming from? We've no idea. We, we basically know... We know that, nothing, right? Well, what, what we know is, because we had it from the, <laughs> the interview guidance... Uh, for oh, the yeah. asylum seekers, we, we, we know that basically the caseworkers, you, you're sort of your mindset is that you're going to accept it. Hmm. So whether it's an it's an asylum application or whether it's for a lawful visa, uh, basically almost any excuse you give, yeah. and and it's going to be accepted. And this is at a time when you look at the other side of the equation. Well, okay, so does that is all of this because we've got completely full employment and there's there's nobody out of work. Uh, uh, no. uh, in the UK amongst <laughs> our brilliant young people. Right. And when you look at those numbers, and there's an incredible article in uh, today's Telegraph mm. talking about the, the latest data from the uh, Office of uh, National Statistics, almost 800,000 young people from the age of 16 yeah. to 24, that's, that's 11%, yeah. right, are out of education, employment and training, 800,000. Right. Uh, who and and there's there's a sharp rise in poor mental health amongst young people, 
during this process, which why many of them are are out of edu- uh, uh, economically yeah. inactive and outside training and education. Let me tell you, the best cure for young people who may feel they've got mental mm. health issues, I tell you what, get out there, get off your backside get and get a job. Exactly. If you get busy, you won't have time to have a mental health yeah, issue. Exactly right. It's and unbelievable. The point is, is that 327,000 of them are apparently looking for work, but the rest of them aren't bothering. So what are they doing? You know, not getting up in the morning and not going to the job that you probably should be doing is, of course, a recipe for all sorts of terrible mental problems. So, it, you know, there will be people who still have mental problems no matter what, but there won't be hundreds of thousands of them. Genuine mental health, we know, is very, very serious. Yeah. But I question, you know, how many really young people mm. that affects? Exactly. I suspect that true number is, is, is whilst is serious, is probably quite a small number, yeah. and that there's a, there's a lot of sort of... What about me? Oh, it's all a bit difficult. Oh, I'm I'm better than this. Forget it. You need to get a job. Get out there. Yeah. Start contributing right. to life. And and that number, that eight hundred thousand, coincidentally, is sort of similar to the numbers we've mm. just talked about. Six hundred thousand absolutely plus incredible. for work. Absolutely it's madness. Incredible. It is madness. Now, before we go to a little break, let's have a look at President Trump. Yesterday, um, in uh, what can only be described as the greatest reality TV show of all time, uh, he turned up in Georgia uh, at a county jail, no less, uh, because this is how ridiculous things have become over there. Uh, he was uh, formally charged. He was uh, had his mugshot taken. Uh, he had his fingerprints done. This is what he said afterwards. I really believe this is a very sad day for America. This should never happen. If you challenge an election, you should be able to challenge an election. I thought the election was a rigged election, a stolen election, and I should have every right to do that. As you know, you have many people that you've been watching over the years do the same thing, whether it's Hillary Clinton or Stacey Abrams or many others. When you uh, have that great freedom to challenge, you have to be able to, otherwise you can have very dishonest elections. What has taken place here is a travesty of justice. We did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. And everybody knows that I've never had such support. He's never had such support. We'll talk some more about the Trump campaign, uh, which is going stronger than ever, by the way. Back with Richard Tice after this. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Calling all McCrispy lovers. Your favourite chicken burger has been re- 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 remixed with delicious smoky ba- ba- bacon, hot and spicy mayo and a caramelised onion relish. As if you didn't love it enough already. The McCrispy Deluxe. It's your favourite chicken. Remixed. Available until the 5th of September. Served after 11am. Subject to availability. Like amazing Aldi value for the bank holiday. Four British chicken cofters and six British smoky pork hot dogs from only 2 99 Branded big pack beers from just 11 99 And Rossini premium lager just 1.49. Bank holiday. Bank account holiday more like. Aldi, officially which cheapest supermarket of the year? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So this is from Ellie. She says, Mike, you'll know this from your daughter living in Dubai. I lived there for six years, but had to renew my visa every 30 days by going across to Oman. I overstayed one time by one day, and when I travelled back from the UK, I was immediately hauled into the police office at the airport and fined. They know pretty much every person in their country, and quite rightly so. Uh, we are a laughing stock globally. And I know Dubai is a smaller country, but, you know, every other country does this better than we do. We it's, seem to have literally, I mean, forget about it being a sieve that doesn't hold any water. It's just it's like it's just like it's a hole. Literally the definition of a sovereign nation is that you have borders and it is the responsibility of government to know who is coming in and who is going out and for what purpose. Mm. Is it good? Is it helpful? Is it contributing yeah. to the growth or, of the or nation? Or how about just what is it? Or what is it? Um, 
or actually, have they got bad intent? Mm. And there is nothing more serious and important than that. And this government is failing at every single level. And uh, the main opposition, I, I, I think, um, will be exactly as bad. They, they are almost they silent will. on this, yeah. utterly silent. Well, the reason that we talk about this an awful lot on every show that goes out on Talk TV is that, you know, the Labour's answer is, oh, we must just process them quicker. No, that's not the answer. The answer is to stop them coming. You know, try and process the ones that are here. But when you find that they don't qualify, then deport them. But let's remember, you've got senior Conservative politicians saying they want more immigration in order to depress wages, mm. in order to reduce inflation. I mean, it's just... I just well, think it's on the other it's, hand, it's revolting. handing out pay rises to the public sector. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Let's talk about Donald Trump, because a uh, fascinating week for him, culminating last night in yet another um, very dramatic sort of motorcade. It's now becoming a rehearsed kind of deal, isn't it? it you know, it, he comes out of his house in New Jersey, motorcade to the airport, gets on... Uh, Trump, his Force, private Trump jet. Force One is the biggest <laughs> private jet anybody's ever seen. It's not really a private jet. It's like a jumbo, private yeah. jumbo. You know, lands down in Georgia, another motorcade to... Uh, and the size Fulton of these County motorcades Jail. and the police... Yeah. I mean, it's just remarkable. You'd think it was the president. I mean, if I was Joe Biden, I'd be going... Um, sorry, why is he allowed to do that? It is extraordinary. I mean, his motorcade's almost longer than the president's. It's just and I nuts. Mean, he did this big interview with Tucker Carlson this week while he didn't go to the uh, the Fox-sponsored um, vice presidential kind of, I suppose you might call it, um, dem- uh, demonstration. That was more of a vice presidential so, debate, so, wasn't uh, it, rather than an actual presidential debate. Absolutely right. So I have now watched the whole of this three-quarter mm. hour uh, interview yeah. by Tucker Carlson, yeah. uh, which you can watch on, uh, on X and probably some other channels. Yeah. Uh, X obviously being Which has Twitter. got an incredible number of millions of Huge and millions, num- of views, yeah. hundreds of millions of yeah. people watched it. So that's between Tucker Carlson mm. and Donald Trump. Yeah. And I have to say, it is well worth watching, listening to. It's, it's just extraordinary. Whatever you think yeah. of Donald Trump, whether you like him or don't like him, you've just got to listen to that to understand mm. where this is at. Yeah. And I think I may have to admit that I may not have been completely correct previously. Oh. Do you think because, you might have been wrong? Well, uh, those let me say I was not. For? I may not have been correct because uh, <laughs> I, I did. I think I was caught saying that he would, that Donald Trump would not be on yes, the Republican. I remember that uh, ballot paper, yeah. and it's quite clear to me now that actually he will be. Yes. Well, he might and, not be on the ballot paper um, uh, when they have the pri- primaries for the for the Republicans because they might not bother having one. Well, they might not bother having. There's one. no but, point. But he, I think he will now be on the. Uh, the ballot paper I in November there's no 2021. Question. There's no question. Yeah. And when you see that... I'll accept uh, your apology. And, uh, well, look, what, what I will say there... I will give you right. I will, <laughs> like you, Mike. Uh, what I will say, though, here is the thing. What is going on? I think that there has been some understanding or deal done between Donald Trump mm. and Vivek Ramaswamy, yes. who was one of the eight in the, uh, the, pres- in, in the, sort of the primary debate. Yeah, right. because, and I think the deal is that uh, Vivek will be his vice president, his, his running mate, because Vivek is going out there with some policies that are, are, are sort of, you know, they're, they're very strong, robust policies yes. uh, that in some cases are actually, you know, slightly more uh, sort of, Harder and he's than, another than outsider, you expect Trump to say. Because he's, he's another he's, outsider. He's a businessman, right? And that's right. He's a businessman. He's been very successful. He's only thirty-eight, yeah. but he is saying he wants to bring in the military to help secure their border yeah. uh, with Mexico, which is harder than Trump's previously said. Yeah. Uh, he's also said, for example, with Ukraine 
that actually uh, they need to look at starting to reduce the amount of mm. aid they give Ukraine. Yeah. He's talking about actually... Which is p- very popular in which America. Is, but actually very unpopular with the establishment. Mm. He's saying they need to talk about land and Crimea. So, you know, this is, this mm. is very different to what everybody else right. in, in the sort of consensus politics in America is talking about. And then on climate change, uh, again, he's got a very different view. He actually said in the primary debate uh, that he said... Uh, he he actually said this, the way that climate change is being conducted is a hoax, yeah. and that it's. A, he said the agenda is a hoax. He said the he? agenda is a hoax, and that uh, it is it is a a very damaging wet blanket on yeah. the American economy. Yeah. And so you know this is this is very very different mm. to what anybody else is saying. Yeah. And I think that is giving sort of it's giving it leeway for Donald Trump. Yeah. And that, that's and that's where about, I think this is going. And the thing about. The two-horse races, if it does come down to Trump-Biden again, as many commentators have said, and they're not necessarily pro-Trump commentators, you know, things can happen. You know, Joe Biden, Trump says in that interview, uh, he doesn't think uh, Biden will make it to the gate, uh, meaning he doesn't think he'll actually be healthy enough to run for president, which is possible. Uh, his health could deteriorate rapidly uh, as, as of the, the, the start of the campaign. I mean, we know the last campaign, he didn't really go anywhere because it was under the sort of COVID rules. He, he ran his campaign from his, his basement. In his basement, right. Well, if, and, if you listen to Trump's right. interview, I mean, he basically says... Biden is struggling to walk at the mm. moment. I mean, the the grass of the uh, the grass of the White House is about two inches long, yeah. and and Biden's sort of shuffling along it as right. though he's sort of shuffling to his bed. Well, I mean, he's, he's just he's shuffling to make sure he doesn't fall down flat on his face, which we've also seen him do. I mean, we've got uh, the world according to Mike Graham every night on a Friday, uh, and we do Biden's balls up. Which, which, which starts with him falling over at that event that he was at in the, uh, with the Navy. You know, he's, it, the point is, is that in the end, Donald Trump has got at least a 50-50 chance of winning the White House if he is the, is, is the nominee. And he's going to be the nominee, so he's now at least 50-50 with Biden. I, I think that's correct. And uh, the other thing I said was that Biden wouldn't be on the ballot paper. I still hold by that. I don't think he will make the ballot mm. paper. I think uh, events will will. Well, do you think it'll transpire. be Newsom? It could well be Newsom. Trump talks a lot about that. You look at Newsom's track record. I mean, California is in a disastrous state, yeah. economically, socially, culturally. So, uh, you know, Trump, I think, will we'll, we'll revel uh, mm. if it's uh, Well, he's really revelling in all of this um, um, attention. Every single, um, you know, indictment that, that falls upon him makes him stronger. He's like, I described him, um, I think, last week as almost like some kind of superhero figure, you know, one of those Marvel uh, adventures where, you know, instead of being a kryptonite to Superman, it's sort of the opposite. You know, as soon as he touches some, some indictment, he becomes more powerful. Uh, he does. And, of course, where he's so strong and powerful actually is in foreign policy. Yeah. And he talks in this interview at length about uh, how he was a strong leader uh, against the likes of Kim Jong-un, uh, against President Xi of China and against Putin, and, and, against Putin. and yeah. he said that those people respected him. Yeah. And they don't respect Biden and Biden's weakness and the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan, and so on and so mm. on. And, and the list is a long one. So, and I've he, detected, I would say, in the last week, in terms of American public opinion, definite shift because it is looking ridiculous. The idea that you know a former president of the United States of America is now being prosecuted under a law which was enacted by Rudolph Giuliani when he was a Southern District Court yes. district attorney in New York against the mafia, you know, and they're alleging that basically Trump's White House was run like an organised crime syndicate. I mean, it's just ludicrous and ridiculous. And, and, and so is this sort of charade goes on every week where he flies to another, yeah. <laughs> you know, another court hearing right. 
uh, and you think, oh, here we go again, here we go again, mm. and eventually people say this is ridiculous, yeah. this is absurd, and, and it's so very, you, and it's, and it looks terrible for America. It looks terrible for America. The the division, and where does this all end up? And and again, in that interview, Trump talks about that, mm. and he said he said he is actually genuinely now worried about the where this goes, the anger uh, uh, alongside the passion, and it's you know there's some America's got some serious challenges yeah. and. Uh, I think the Democrats have got to think yeah. long and hard and about like what they do with this. And like all popular winners, he can say, well, is it better now than it was when I was in president? And they all have to say, well, no, it isn't. And, you know, and it's the same as, as I guess the Labour Party will say about Rishi Sunak. You know, are you better off now than you were 10 years ago? Probably not. Well, definitely not. I mean, we, we've got our own challenges. And, yeah. and the reality is, uh, in any walk of... People don't feel um, better off than they did 13 years ago. Right. It's not safer on the streets. Mm. It's a lot harder to get a GP. Mm. And as we've talked about this morning, our borders are now completely open. In fact, we, we basically, they are porous to the point where there is no border in the United yeah. Kingdom. It's, it's, it's open, it's gone, and, and the government doesn't seem to care. No, incredible. Richard Tice, thank you very much indeed. See you on Sunday for the Sunday, Sunday sermon. sermon. Yes, there'll be a massive Sunday sermon. It's going to be a big weekend here at Talk TV. Richard, thank you very much indeed. Coming up, we're talking gas with Net Zero Watch. We've got uh, Harry Wilkinson coming on because guess what? Um, the cap has been lowered uh, by Ofgem, the world's most useless regulator. Uh, but in fact, it won't make any difference to you. Brilliant. Fantastic. Your gas prices will be the same. Uh, the gas companies will continue to make a fortune. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, here's one from Dave. Mr. Tice, the reason these people uh, workless, work less is they are lazy, worthless druggies. And if we make drugs legal, it will destroy their future lives. It's madness. Uh, nothing works anymore in Britain. You have to question why our useless government politicians are letting this happen. God forgive us. Well, absolutely right. Brad in Cambridge says, how about inventing a new word, planker? Nothing wrong with that. That's not bad, actually. I quite like that. Planker of the week. I don't know. Planker of the week is good, though. Uh, that's on, as I say, tonight at 7 p.m. Now, the big news this morning uh, from the um, energy regulator, Ofgem, uh, is basically that uh, energy bills will fall because they've lowered the price cap. Um, millions of British households will have cheaper energy bills from October, is what they say, because apparently this reflects a fall in wholesale power and gas prices. However, the price cap may be going down, but a lot of people are saying, actually, it won't affect your bills at all because of the way uh, the gas industry is structured. Let's talk to Harry Wilkinson from Net Zero Watch. Harry, very good morning to you. Good morning. So the drop we are being told by Ofgem will save households an average of £151 compared with the previous quarter. But, of course, the problem with all of these estimates is that their estimates of how much that was going to go up were wrong and their estimates, no doubt, of how it's going to go down will also be wrong because they don't really know what an average house consumes because there's really no such thing. So what is actually going on here? Well, this is a very modest um, fall in the price cap. So it may save people a small amount but that obviously depends on on what their usage is the problem with the energy price cap um, is that it's just destroyed competition uh, in the market as uh, we've seen the price cap introduced we've seen that range of different offers that are available to customers narrow and narrow so although it provides a maximum uh, price that uh, energy companies can charge we see all companies grouping together at exactly that price. Yeah. So there isn't much uh, benefit uh, for, for consumers to search around. And extraordinarily, there's actually a punishment from the government. If, if you switch 
um, the company that's lost your business actually gets refunded through a market stabilization mm. charge. So there's big disincentivization going on uh, for competition. And that competition is, 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 is vital in terms of getting prices down. So I think the government really needs to relook really at how the energy price cap is structured. Mm. Um, and, and in a broader terms that we still see prices that are way higher than they were before the Ukraine crisis. They haven't seemed to got to grips with the fact that fossil fuels are still the major form of uh, energy source in the country. That's not whether people like it. It's not about, uh, you know, what the government would want to be the case, but it has to accept the reality. You know, it may be trying to change that. Uh, but it's and it's so it's saying we'll get prices down in the future by continuing to invest in renewables. But that process is going to take a long time. We see natural gas prices that are way, way higher in the UK compared to the US. We see a pointless moratorium on fracking, which stops us getting our own gas and could bring those prices down. Uh, and we see the windfall tax in the North Sea as well. Uh, which has actually just at the wrong time, just when we needed more investment in local supplies of gas, uh, and albeit you know profits in the North Sea were very high, but we we've seen actually investment collapse in the North Sea because of this damaging uh, windfall tax. So the government has almost been doing everything it can to stop uh, the the supply of new gas into the UK market, and of course that means prices will be higher than they need to be. Uh, and the cost of living crisis will be prolonged. Mm, absolutely right. And the trouble is that, you know, we still, no matter how much lower the cap gets, a very, very long way away from where everything was even just two years ago, right? That's right. It's it's still far too high. Uh, there isn't enough ambition in terms of the cost of energy, getting that down as low as possible. We see decarbonisation, getting emissions down as the number one focus, Ministers have to be strong with their civil servants and actually push back against some of these expensive schemes to subsidize renewables uh, and say, you know, what do the public want? Most of the public, when asked in polling, would like to see the government focus on getting the cost of electricity down. Mm. Uh, and yet the government isn't listening to that. Um, and that's very disappointing yeah. to see. But it will actually have the, you know, a happy consequence because if electricity prices come down, uh, things like heat pumps, electric vehicles will be that much more competitive. And now I'm not saying anyone should have to buy those things. Um, but, you know, if the government's talking about forcing people to have them, uh, it's going to be far more expensive if, yes. uh, you know... But the then there's there's dissent as well already, isn't there? There's dissent on, on all fronts, really, when it comes to the kind of um, the green agenda. Dale Vince, you know, our favourite, um, you know, green multi-millionaire uh, energy supplier from Ecotricity, he's actually been quoted as saying, and I think he said it on this very station, um, that heat pumps are no good and that heat pumps are not the way forward. So he's not a fan of heat pumps at all. So the people who are pushing those, and even those who would like to see them getting cheaper are now beginning to admit that they don't work very well. There's just so little confidence in the government's approach at the moment, which, which is to ban things and to direct people towards certain technologies. Now, different people have different views about those. What I would like to see is them, the different technologies competing and, and consumers choosing what works uh, best for mm. them. Um, so, you know, the government needs to change its approach. It needs to be 
clear. It needs to actually say, we don't want to go ahead with this 2030 gas boiler ban with the petrol and diesel car ban. Hmm. And I think forge a new approach based on competitiveness um, and contrast that with the Labour Party, because there is a real opportunity here. We saw it at the Uxbridge uh, and South Rice by-election, you know, when people actually had an electoral choice on a key environmental Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Massive uh, measure. They actually voted conservative despite, you know, overwhelmingly difficult national picture for the conservatives because they were opposing the ULES policy. So this has enormous potential advantages uh, for the Conservatives. It's not going to be about saying, you know, we just want to abandon climate change policies altogether. Those are still going to be a part of the government strategy, but it has to show that it's going to do that in a responsible way Mm. that protects the consumer, that gets the cost of living down. Yeah, absolutely right. And as far as the way the markets actually work, it's quite complex, isn't it? Because one of the things that we know, for example, is that when the wholesale price of gas goes down, it's a bit like dealing with the kind of uh, some racketeering organisation because they tell you, oh, yes, well, the thing is, um, yes, the price of wholesale gas has gone down. um, But in the end, uh, we have to put a basket of these different energies together and we have to have green subsidies over here uh, and electricity prices over there. And so effectively, the basket, as it were, of energy never really really changes. Well, there is a huge lag on when that wholesale energy is purchased by the energy suppliers and and the prices that uh, consumers pay. And that's because of the energy price cap. Mm. Because because there's a fixed price for a certain length of time, these companies have to buy that energy way in advance, up to a year in advance, uh, so that they can be sure they won't go bust if, if prices change. Whereas in a more competitive market, uh, we can see companies take their own approaches to hedging uh, and then the most successful companies will attract more customers. Yes. You know, this is a function of how the government has designed the energy markets and it clearly isn't working. Yes, exactly right. And I've got a note here from Russ who says, Mike, great show today. Can you let us know why talk and other media are not mentioning the recent price hikes at the petrol stations? Well, for no particular reason, Russ. I have noticed people telling me that prices are rising slowly but surely at the petrol pumps once again. We've got Howard Cox on actually later on today, uh, so we'll find out from him what that's about. But any ideas on that one, Harry? Well, Howard's been doing a great job of highlighting how whenever prices rise, the prices go up straight away at the pump. And yet when they come down, uh, there's a big lag and people pay higher prices far longer than they need to. And I think a a pump watch kind of body that that, uh, Howard has been campaigning for is going to be the right kind of approach to really put pressure on the petrol uh, forecourts to bring prices down when the wholesale markets uh, 
fall in price as well. Exactly right. Good to talk to you, Harry. Thanks very much indeed. Thank Harry you very much. Uh, Wilkinson from Net Zero Watch. Um, Russ, yeah, we will get into that because people have mentioned it to me. And I actually noticed last time I filled my car up uh, that it was kind of closer to 80 quid than it was to 70. And I thought to myself, that seems a bit higher than normal. I think it is. I think they have been creeping up. We'll find out what that's all about. Howard Cox will tell us. Coming up, uh, we're going to be talking to more of you, of course, because we want to. You are the common sense that fuels this particular independent republic. 0344 499 1000. Scott says this whole average household way of capping energy prices is utter cobblers. Exactly right. Um, and part of the problem is that work uh, visas are a path to permanent residency, says James. I worked overseas on a contract for 30 plus years. In those countries, once the contract ends, you have to leave. If we need talent, bring it in short term work permits with no chance uh, of PR. Well, exactly right. Permanent residence, that is. No. If you go and work overseas somewhere, you work on a visa basis whereby if you lose the job that you've got or the contract ends, you go home. You don't bring your family. You don't move house. You don't completely move locations and suddenly you're now a resident of that country. That's not how it works. Why does it work like that here? This is Talk TV. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Nationwide, by your side, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. The one place, of course, for the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's back holiday weekend, so we're going to be catching up with Simon Calder a little bit later on in the show. I think he might be in Scandinavia, uh, but wherever you're going this weekend, if you are going anywhere, uh, it will be, of course, with the usual provisos. There will be a strike at one of the airports. There will be a strike, uh, no doubt, somewhere affecting a railway journey you want to take. There will be traffic jams. There will be road closures. There will be road works. There will be all manner of things put in your way to try and stop you from enjoying yourself because that seems to be the way it goes so do let us know if you're out and about if you're at an airport if you're on the car in a car uh, rather than on a car uh, if you're in a car actually trying to get somewhere by all means uh, if you're in a traffic jam let us know where it is let us know what the roads are like let us know what the trains are like because we're here to help basically 0344 499 1000 coming up jamie jenkins is here our favorite independent statistician uh, used to work uh, for of course uh, the civil service collecting statistics and passing them out uh, as if they were confetti nowadays what we get is statistics which we have to kind of interpret because they're not always given to us in the way that they should yesterday we had some incredible home office statistics we spoke about it with richard tice this morning first thing um what we've found is that there's an awful lot more people coming to this country than you had ever imagined. And what we're going to do is find out exactly what it is that is drawing people here and why it is that we seem to have so much difficulty in stopping people from coming under all sorts of circumstances. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Howard Cox is going to be here as well uh, because the Sadiq Khan Ulez expansion story continues to bring uh, grief to basically all peoples of all parts of Britain. London in particular uh, is suffering under the yoke of the worst mayor that the city has ever seen, not least because he thinks that everyone who disagrees with him is some kind of maniac. He said yesterday in an interview uh, with a place that we don't talk about here, basically that anyone who disagrees with him is some kind of 
denier of COVID, some kind of denier of science, some kind of denier of something else. You know, he wants to talk about conspiracy theories. He doesn't actually admit to the fact that he's been massaging the figures, that he's been downright um, misleading people on all manner of reports that have been produced about clean air, about um, ULEZ zones and about the actual truth of the science. You know, he doesn't like to do that. But let's talk to Jamie Jenkins um, down in South Wales, of course. Um, Jamie, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Are you saying the kind of home of common sense and the truth? I just one breaking news this morning. I think I was talking to you last month about the wildfires. Yes. And, and the arsonists increase in the, BB, in the fact that BBC had failed to mention it. Well, this morning, one of their headlines on the news is uh, 79 people have been arrested in Greece because of the arson. So if you want to get the truth, you're probably about a month ahead of the BBC. Then, well, I mean, that doesn't come as any great surprise to me. These are the people that send somebody to Spain to report on why <laughs> it might be a bit warm in Alicante. You know, I could have told him that without going there, you know, because everybody knows it is. It is weird. I was thinking, actually, I was thinking of you the other day because I said it might be worth doing a sort of, you know, wildfire of the week because they now <laughs> uh, they now uh, sort of look around the world with some kind of, you know, telescope looking. I mean, last weekend it was Canada, you know, then it was uh, California with the floods. Uh, we've had Hawaii, obviously. You know, and yes, there are wildfires, and yes, they do happen. A friend of mine was visiting California. He said, we have wildfires every year in California. You know, it just happens. And almost always they're set by arsonists. Yeah, and it's been the same thing in Tenerife. I, I think they should rename News at 10 to Wildfires at 10, I think, Mike, the way yeah. things have been getting this. I know. I know, incredible. The number of times they lead the news. But, of course, what they don't lead the news with is some you know, incredibly stunning statistics that came out yesterday morning, just before this show began, from the Home Office about migration. Because some of the numbers on these reports are quite staggering. But what they don't tell you um, is the hidden meaning of, say, for example, 3.2 million visas being issued you know, to people to come here in 2022. I understand that a lot of those will be holiday tourist visas. I get that. However, that's not simply the answer because my view would be that a lot of those people coming here with visas to travel on holiday will probably stay. Yeah, and, and the big record numbers that we've been seeing in recent years, Mike, have huge consequences. So what the Home Office figures will give you a little bit of an insight is to, you know, it'd be several more months later now where the ONS will tell us, what's the immigration net immigration figures for 2023 so that'll that'll take a while because we're only pretty much halfway through the year now and there's a bit of a time lag for the ons to do it all but what the home office figures will do is it gave you that quick snapshot insight as to where we're heading so when you have all of these visas and i think uh, again some high numbers of student visas are going in mm. there and to the family members as well yeah that's one of the things sunak says he's going to crack down on but not quite yet there'll be a bit of a time lag there you get record levels of immigration. We saw huge numbers at net last year. And what does this mean, Mike? Well, the, the one stark fact that it clearly affects is this isn't just a recent phenomenon. We've had huge levels of immigration mm. you know, for 25 years. In 1997, Mike, if you compare the average house price to the average wages, the house price is about three and a half times your average kind of you know wages to house prices. Mm. In 2022, it was 8.2 times. Yeah. So you just think now, if you're a young person coming through, You've got absolutely no chance mm. of getting on the housing ladder. And that's the big consequence of having lots of immigration, but no government policy mm. to build the infrastructure to cope with it. No, and, and I get reports all the time from all around the country 
a lot more in England than perhaps in Wales and Scotland and Ireland. But people saying, oh, there's a new housing development going up, you know, X number of houses have been reserved for uh, asylum seekers. Now, those could be Ukrainian asylum seekers, they could be uh, Hong Kong asylum seekers, but they could also be asylum seekers who have come from other countries. And I think people genuinely, particularly when they see housing association properties being given away uh, to people from elsewhere, they, they, they get wound up. They go, well, what about us? Yeah, and we've talked in the past about Circo Mike having these housing events across the country where they'll take a house, they'll kind of give the rent for five years to the landlord, and they'll fix any repairs, they'll pay the council yeah. tax, they'll pay all the bills. You know, it's a very good business model for Circo. And, and and the stuff that came out again yesterday, Mike, is the total number of people coming across just, you know, we've talked mm. about the legal numbers there, the illegal numbers that are coming across this, yeah. the car on this channel. And they've been going up and up and up and up. And I think we've got a graph I uh, pulled together for you, Mike, that kind of yes. shows the total number of migrants that have been coming across. And we've now hit, um, with the latest data up to the yesterday, 104,290 migrants have come across now since the start of 2018. It was very few in the first couple of years. I think it's right. only, yeah, you can see this chart here, Mike. I mean, that is like the old stairway to hell, isn't it? Well, Not yeah, and for, people and for people listening on the radio, it's basically a chart just showing it's hardly any in the first couple of years. Mm. And then since pretty much the COVID pandemic has hit, they've just gone up mm. and up and up and up. And what's kind of striking in all of this, Mike, is that so the 2023 numbers, yeah, okay, Sunak says he's going to stop the boats. They're down slightly on 2022. Some factors there might be the weather as well, Mike. You know, we haven't had as good a summer as we well, had Well, July last. wasn't great, was it? Whereas last July yeah. was very, very hot and very kind of calm, whereas this July it was quite stormy and windy, wasn't it? Yeah, and even August hasn't been great, Mike. Yeah. So we're probably still heading towards thirty-five to 40,000. But one of the Easy. things that, that I, I was looking into the figures this morning, just looking and comparing this year to last year, because remember Sunak says he's got this deal with Albania where there'll be rapid movement mm. back of Albanians coming across. Well, what's quite striking, if we look at the six months, uh, January to June 2022, we had about 7.8% of all those coming across. We didn't know their nationality. So that's probably papers being thrown away. You can't recall what their nationality are. We don't know where they come from. Six months to 2023, Mike, that 7.8% is now... 35%, a fourfold increase. So the question here is, are Albanians getting around Sunak's new policy by just chucking away their documents mm. so they can't be deported rapidly? You know, these things need looking into. Absolutely right. And I'm just going to remind you again to go back to that uh, business of the 3.2 million uh, overall. And we include in that 1.2 million, I think, of, uh, uh, of student visas and work visas specifically, right? So that leaves, let's say it leaves 2 million. Now, I'm just going to give you a taste of the countries that you need a visa from to come here on holiday. And you tell me whether you think this might be leading to some people coming from these countries and staying. Afghanistan, Algeria, Angola, Bangladesh, Burundi, Cameroon, Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo, Dominica, Egypt, Eritrea, Ethiopia, Gambia, Ghana, Guinea, Honduras, India, Iran, Iraq, Ivory Coast, Kenya. Now that just gets us up to the L's and we get Lebanon, Lesotho, Liberia and Libya. Now are you telling me that people from those countries are not coming here on our holiday visas and staying? Yeah, something's not going right in this system, Mike. You know, it's, it's, I think there's clearly some abuse of the system. And I say that the student visas, that is one that, say, Sunak has already said he's going to tackle. But when Sunak says he's going to tackle something, how much, you know, 
on, on a scale of one to ten, what confidence do you have in Sunak tackling yeah. it? It's pretty much close to one. I mean, call me old-fashioned, right? But I'm not exactly thinking that there's a sort of uh, Ethiopian equivalent of Tui setting up in Ethiopia going, I'll tell you what, guys, let's have a two-week package holiday in, uh, I don't know, Eastbourne and pack up the plane, <laughs> fly into Eastbourne. It's only two weeks. You'll have a great time, all-inclusive. No alcohol, obviously, for you, uh, since you don't drink. But, you know, a uh, nice holiday in Britain, and then we'll fly you back. No, that's not what's happening. People are coming no. from Ethiopia to Britain. They're not coming on holiday. Well, one of the things in these figures, Mike, uh, the, you know, the migration figures, where you're talking about the irregular migration, so not people just on work visas or travel visas, is... We talked about the 104,000 people who've come across there on the small boats. There's another 22,000 uh, 22, over the last five or six years have arrived with inadequate documentation mm. at the airport. So they, they managed to get on the plane. They get here. They haven't got the right documentation. And now they're in the asylum system. And then there's another 30,000 people like, who have been identified in the UK. So they've got here. So when we talk about, say, for example, the small boat that migrants coming across, what you also see, I've seen videos on, on Twitter and stuff, uh, where people are landing, so they're not detected. They're just landing on the right. shore and probably just going oh, straight. Totally. Into the, well, listen. Into anyone the who knows the southern, uh, eastern, southeastern coast of England knows that the entire um, length and breadth of it, all the way really from Dover around the corner, uh, along to pretty much Portsmouth, um, you can land anywhere there because it's basically, apart from where the cliffs are, it's all very flat beaches. You just, you just, you know, bring the boat up and jump out of it and run into town. And yeah, and those will be going straight into the kind of the, the, the you know, the, the dodgy part of the economy, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, totally. I think, I think we got a chart come up as well, Mike, just showing. So all these numbers that are going up month on month on month on month. Well, if you process them, I think, you, you know, you make a valid point earlier on the show, Mike. You know, you need to kind of stop the numbers coming in. Yeah. But when they're here, if you're not processing them fast enough, they go up and up and up and up. So we've now got a record number. And what the chart shows here for people listening on the radio is just each month, how many are currently in the system yeah. still waiting to be processed? So that's now up to 175,000. So, so basically what the Home Office are doing here, Mike, and then, you, know, you can blame the government as much as we want, but ultimately it's run by the civil service. The permanent secretary of the Home Office needs to take account of this as well, is that we've got more people coming over uh, seeking asylum than what we're processing, which leads to this record backlog of 175,000, which then means you've got a hotel bill racking up close to 10 million mm. a day or we get a circle trying to find houses for all these people that's three and a half billion pounds potentially in costs and this is just absolute incompetence yeah. at the hands of the civil servants mm. at the home office mike now that is a scandal that needs addressing yeah totally absolutely utterly and we've got even more we could be talking to you about jamie because now you've got some covid stuff for us we'll get you back on to do that because uh, there's enough here to take in i mean i wish we could find a, a graph that actually went down the only one for that <laughs> we can find is people's patience running out i think um but there we are uh, lots of uh, good tidings for the weekend have a good bank holiday uh, jamie jenkins the independent statistician uh, on the terrible terrible statistics coming in uh, from the uh, asylum applications all the way through to illegal migration all the way through to families coming here you know the stats just go up and up and up and up and there is no way to see that they will stop it is quite extraordinary coming up uh, we're going to be talking to simon calder uh, he's over in sweden we'll find out exactly what he's up to uh, this bank holiday weekend this is talk tv the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio with a fascinating man called andy stevenson former naval warrant officer last week andy told us the story uh, of how he got uh, from where he was when he joined the Navy at the age of 18, uh, finding himself on the HMS Sheffield uh, when it was attacked 
by an Exocet missile uh, from the French uh, uh, military brigade, uh, but it had been fired, of course, by the Argentinians. And uh, he had to rescue many people. Uh, he lost his best friend. He talked in great detail uh, and very movingly about the experience that he had as a young man and how it haunted him for so many uh, years afterwards and how only now uh, has he kind of come to terms with the great uh, experience and loss uh, that he suffered at that time. Today, uh, as a CEO uh, of his new organisation, he's going to be telling us exactly what he does to help other veterans to try and recover from their trauma and to get themselves into places uh, of work. So, uh, before, uh, without any further ado, uh, let us now have the Veterans Voice. The Veterans Voice. Welcome uh, back to Talk TV. Hugh Andres here. Hugh, very good morning. Good afternoon to you, I should Good say. afternoon, Mike. Uh, we both decided, didn't we, yesterday, because last, last week it was so kind of um, touching and moving uh, when we heard uh, from Andy Stevenson, who's now a coach and now a life coach, if you like, uh, for, for other veterans. We knew he had so much more to tell us, but we didn't want to interrupt the story that he was telling us, which yeah, was all absolutely. about his experience at, uh, at, uh, uh, down in the Falklands on HMS Sheffield. <laughs> Yeah, and it's. Um, it, I think it really helps other, especially males. And you know, I speak for myself here as a sort of typically inverted commas alpha male out yeah. of the military. Right. I often find it quite hard mm. to talk about mental health yeah. and issues. Sure. So I, I, I found it hugely inspirational. I'm sure many others yeah. have done, and certainly the the love that we felt over the various social mm. media social media platforms yeah. was a nice change from and also from i think for people who haven't ever been in a situation like that it really kind of brings it home because it makes you think what what would you do if you were that man if you were in that place yeah and, and I, I think you know i was on the phone this morning with a ex-senior officer saying it's all about trying to change the narrative around yeah. veterans and that's really what you know part of my sort of purpose is about sure um and andy's a great example of someone you know who's really been up against it for many many years but he's, he's fought on through he's come out the other side you know great support from his wife mm. aiding his family you know and he's now there helping and supporting others to mm. show that these men and women that come out of our forces are assets not victims Yes, and we'll talk more to Andy uh, a little bit later on um, in this section. But but first off, let's catch up with the news. Um, the news, yeah. I know that you've obviously, as a military man, will have known an awful lot, perhaps more, um, about Mr Prigozhin than other people did. Mr Prigozhin made the, the, the uh, single fatal error of getting onto an aircraft yeah. 180 miles north of Moscow, yeah. and not only that, with his uh, command team. So... Uh, yeah, he, um, he... Do you think he thought he was untouchable? Quite possibly, but, I mean, he clearly didn't know Putin, and uh, I think, actually, Putin's done everyone a great favour. Mm. You know, Prigozhin um, was a two-bit murdering thug mm. who went around murdering, raping, executing individuals, and my personal view is it couldn't have happened to a nicer bloke, so good riddance. So what happens to the Wagner group, though? Does somebody else move into his spot? Well, that's interesting, and I was thinking about that, and, you know, of course, the word on the street is now that they're all up in arms, so to speak, and they're going to march on Moscow again. Yeah. And, and to be fair, as we know from the programme we were doing on Putin's war, um, the most effective troops that Putin had were the Wagner mm. group and you know they are uh, pretty much a, a band of ex-criminals convicts etc yeah. who like fighting yeah. uh, which is good if they're on your side yeah. to an extent but it's not so good if they're now you know 
turning their uh, their aim towards Moscow. So Putin actually may may have a uh, another problem here mm. that he's not only got to deal with uh, the Ukrainian armed forces, but he may well have. Um, you know, more of a problem on his own doorstep. But I suppose, depending on how loyal they are to uh, Prigozhin, he they may just be paid off and, and he gives the job to somebody else. Well, and goes, yeah, just and I've, obviously I've, I've read uh, bits and pieces about, you know, they'll be promised diamond mines mm. and various mm. other assets, and ultimately they are mercenaries. They may yeah. well take the money and run, but we'll have to wait and see. But it's, uh, it's not over yet, I don't think, for no. Putin. And uh, interesting um, episode in Cyprus. Yeah, this caught my eye, and many of the viewers will have served in Cyprus. Uh, um, I've been there many times. I love Cyprus. Um, But after the 1974 conflict between the the, the Turkish Cypriots and the Greek Cypriots, um, a buffer zone Mm. um, was created um, very close to the uh, British military base of Decalia, which many of our viewers will know and probably have been to. Um, last week, uh, a four-man patrol with three British soldiers and one Slovak um, had a run-in with the Turkish Cypriot forces, in which uh, three British soldiers ended up in hospital. Um, they found the Turkish forces trying to build a road between a village in the north called yeah. Arsos to a, a lovely village called Pila, which mm. many will know um, in the south. That's not allowed um, they tried to put a stop to it, and um, yeah, clearly it kicked off. And uh, there was uh, there were there was a yeah, uh, some sort of a conflict between them. But, uh, but I believe the soldiers. They don't call it a diplomatic incident, do they? No, um, pretty undiplomatic. I mean, it, it, if you go there, and you're familiar with it. It's sort of like one of those places where time has stood still mm. since 1974. But mm. um, yeah. It, it, They've all they've all now been discharged from hospital and they're well, but that's that's certainly the first incident that I've been aware of mm. for many 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 years. Yes, and uh, who sort of polices that zone? Because it United Nations, on which side of it you're on, presumably? Yeah, the UN. So they're UN peacekeepers. There, UN well. peacekeepers wearing blue a blue beret, correct? Yeah. Uh, on on the Greek Cypriot side. Okay. Um, so that was that. Two other things I just wanted to yeah. really flag up um, for viewers. Um, it's more of a plug is uh, the. Uh, United Kingdom Armed Forces are currently in the Rugby World Cup, okay. for which takes part taking place in France. Yeah. Um, we were runners-up in 2019, so UK forces hoping to go one further and become the world champions, mm. which I think probably is highly unlikely our own <laughs> English rugby team will do, but who knows. Um, so anyone who's interested in watching the UK Armed Forces can do it on Forces TV, okay. YouTube channel. Right. Um, so give them your support and then finally for all those avid uh, aviation enthusiasts um, certainly like me if you enjoy watching Top Gun Channel 4 are doing a six part series on our own UK Top Guns who are based out of Lossiemouth I watched the first part uh, this week it was brilliant Um, and it actually features what they do at Lossiemouth and then it follows them into Estonia uh, and in fact, they, these are the guys that can fly upside down, right? Yeah, fly the Eurofire to the Typhoon. Yeah. Really interesting. I mean, the one that I watched at the beginning of the week, they actually had mm. they had two uh, uh, Soviet uh, fast jets rapidly approaching our uh, our um, area, our zone flight zone, which they had to go and 
effectively cut them off intercept. and shepherd the intercept, yes. shepherd them away, etc. But yeah. it, it was great, great watch, um, and I recommend anyone who's got an interest in okay. all things flying. And to, that's Channel to Four this week, you say? Yeah, on a, it's on a Monday, Channel Four. Okay, we'll check that one out. Well, now I guess it's time to get to the second part of our interview uh, with Andy Stevenson. Just before we uh, welcome Andy back to the show, let's have a look at what he said to us last week. When you get back, you go through survivor's guilt, I think it might be called. Yeah. You know, you just, you know, why, why, why wasn't it me? You know, why didn't I die? And that's when, you know, the, the, the atrocities, they, 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 they come to the top and you start to say to yourself, you know, how can I forget what I've just been through? And so lots of us, I mean lots of us, you turn to drink to try and forget. Don't forget, at this point, PTSD wasn't even talked about. It wasn't even known, known until the go forward in the early 90s. So it was just people like myself and hundreds and hundreds of other people that came back and didn't know what was wrong with us. Yeah. I mean, why are we feeling like we're feeling? And it was only when I left the Navy and I went for my um, discharge medical and then I got referred to a consultant in Motherwell um, that I went there with Ailey, my wife, and we went along there and he, he took me in. And I, he wouldn't let me bring Ailey in, actually, which, is, which really annoyed me because I wanted to bring my wife in. But he took me in there and then two and a half, two and a half hours later, when he finished talking to me, he, he, he kind of he had, he had tears in his eyes. He was really emotional, this consultant. And he said to me, it's one of the most severe cases of PTSD that I've come across. And you've just gone through 20, a further 25 years of your career to achieve, you know, the highest echelons of your branches and whatnot, first class. You've got a family, you know, a wife and three children, and you've done that without any any kind of treatment. And and at that point, Mike, I must I must say, the relief when you come out. I came out of the room to think, I am not going mad, and 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 it's been. I've got gradually better mm. as the years have gone on. For the last sixteen or seventeen years, it's it's something that I can now control through the family support network. That was uh, Andy speaking last week. Uh, Hugh, you remember that. It was very touching and, and very moving, I think, for a lot of people. Andy, welcome back uh, to the show. We didn't get to what we wanted to get to last week just because <laughs> we were so keen to listen to your story. But but let's talk now about what you've been able to do, you know, since then, basically, since you've managed to, to get on top of it and, and, and take your experiences and, and move them into an area where you can help other people. Yeah, well, I think when I left the Navy, Mike, and I, and I went into the company I'm, I'm, I'm with now, a, a company I've been there for 17 years, I think the first thing is that my transition was very, very difficult, and I did battle with myself how an engineering construction company could possibly want a military HR logistics specialist. And I started to question my own self-worth. And I think the reason for that was because I left the Navy after 20 years on a Friday and I joined the company that I joined, I'm still with, um, on the Monday and I had no resettlement. And basically, I started to tell people that I didn't regret leaving, it's the best decision I made and blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't until two years later when I started to realise it was okay to say I didn't regret leaving the service, but that I missed what I'd achieved mm. and who I was every single minute of day. And, and that that is a key thing. And I think... You know, whether you leave the military after three years, 13 years, or 30 years, I think 
what you've got to understand and what I'm trying to promote is the fact that you leave with what I call five core skills. Leadership, teamwork, discipline, a strong work ethic and a positive attitude and a will to succeed. And let me tell you, now into my 17th year in Civvy Street, these skills and qualities have been invaluable and gave me a baseline like no other and have let me go on to where I've gone on to now in my, my working career. And I think far too often, Mike, when you leave, when a veteran leaves the service, they, they join thinking about all the qualifications that they don't have, mm. and skills that they don't have, when they should be saying to themselves all the things that they do bring to the table and the skills that they do have. And anything, I mean anything, is possible when you put your mind to mm. it. And I've, and I've been very fortunate over the years. I've worked on some fantastic big projects across the globe. And I've visited countries that I never even went to in the Navy. I've been to the Philippines, South Korea, China. And it really is, it really has been a, a, a fantastic time. And then what I've got into, what I'm moving into now, calm coaching, um, basically something that I'm extremely passionate about. And it's something I want to do in the final chapter of my, my working career. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to provide a career and life co coaching service to veterans and civilians and also a mentoring support to individuals and organisations and corporate businesses that want to hire uh, service service leavers. And th what, what I've got together is is it's based on my own experiences, my own, everything that happened to me. So when, when I start going through for instance, coping mechanisms for PTSD. It's not based on the fact I'm a, a, a medical professional. It's based on the fact that I've had to overcome that. You know, I've had to do mm. things and how I've overcome them. And I think it's, if anybody does want to, uh, you know, reach out and get older, mate, it's, my website is www.calmcoaching.com.